awesome. I love Britney. In 2009, Britney Spears surprised fans at her circus tour concert by performing live, You Oughta Know. The song was performed on six consecutive dates in September, including the Chicago stop that I attended. You Oughta Know was written and made famous by Canadian and Grammy winner Alanis Morissette. Now, what does the general public know about the song, and why did Britney Spears perform it? Welcome to The Original Doll. I'm your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it, and I also go into the research and stories behind so many iconic songs from the icons that we love. And at the same time, we give back to charity. For more information, visit theoriginaldoll.com. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. Big shout out to my Patreon community. You all rock. Thank you so much for your support. And if you want to join the community, go to theoriginaldial.com. And now, on with the show. In 1995, Alanis and Grammy-winning songwriter Glenn Ballard wrote You Oughta Know. Ballard was no stranger to the music industry. However, music fans might not have heard of him before. Some of his previous and successful and lucrative collaborations include Michael Jackson, The Pointer Sisters, Teddy Pendergrass, Paula Abdul, and Winston Phillips. So how did Alanis and Glenn meet? Let's rewind back to Canada in the 1980s. Alanis started writing songs when she was nine. Something that Alanis and Britney Spears have had in common is both started work on television at a young age. At 10, the Ottawa native landed a role on the children's show, You Can't Do That on Television. At 10, Britney Spears was considered too young to be in the cast of The Mickey Mouse Club. She would have to wait a couple years for her Disney break. Using the money Morissette made during her time on the Canadian kids show, Alanis and local folk singer Lindsay Morgan, a friend of the family, created an independent label. Alanis would print 2,000 copies of her debut single, Fate Stay With Me. Less than five would be sold. And in 1987, Alanis would take home top prize at a local talent show. Now talent shows are another shared experience for both Alanis and Britney. In 1991, Alanis released her big label debut album with MCA Canada called Alanis. She had signed a two-album contract with the label. The Canadian co-wrote every track on the dance pop album. Her first top 20 hit, Too Hot, fueled the press to compare her to teen pop stars Debbie Gibson and Tiffany. To promote the album, Alanis would open for rapper Vanilla Ice on his major tour. In 1992, Alanis would release her next album, Now Is The Time, which relied more on ballads than the slick dance pop production featured heavily on her debut album. The first single from the album, An Emotion Away, was the most successful single released from the sophomore album, reaching number 24 on the Canadian singles chart. The media and critics considered it a failure. Both albums were only released domestically in Canada, with her debut album going platinum, with sales in excess over 100,000 copies. Her follow-up album would see less than half of that amount. 
After the album cycle and graduating from high school, Alanis left her hometown of Ottawa for Toronto, at the recommendation of NCA Music Publishing. In a previous episode of The Original Dial, we talked about the importance of publishing. After failed collaborations with producers and songwriters, Alanis left for Los Angeles in the winter of 1994, and she would be introduced to her future Jagged Little Pill collaborator, Glenn Ballard. The production of the album went by fast, often, oftentimes, writing a song a day. One of the last songs written for the album was You Ought to Know. Now, Alanis was worried about some of the subject matter. She asked Ballard for some feedback. He said, is this how you feel? She said yes. Ballard then replied, then don't change a damn thing. Jagged Little Pill was released in June of 1995 under the material girl Madonna's boutique label, Maverick. We all know that female artists are hit harder by the media and critics than their male counterparts. After Alanis released her third album, which... Much like Janet Jackson's early career, many people did not know that she had two previous albums. Both Alanis and Janet had previous albums before their big breakthrough. As a matter of fact, some critics were asking why Alanis was embarrassed about her first two albums, and was there a reason that the albums were no longer in print? Now, my personal response to that is this. Why would a label keep in-print albums four years later that were considered a flop? It doesn't make any sense. Now, critics also assumed Alanis was this angry woman persona, that she was made up by this studio Svengali Glenn Ballard. Another Canadian singer, Shania Twain, faced the same criticism. When Twain released her first albums, she did not go on tour and she did not go that traditional route for promotion. Many thought her vocals and look were all made up by her, ended up being, husband and producer, Mutt Lang. In response to Alanis' critics, Glenn Ballard said, The idea that I did anything other than just empower what was already there ignores the fact that she is an enormously talented singer, a gifted lyricist, a powerful personality, and a very spiritual and strong person. The modern audiences know the impact of You Ought to Know in the music industry. However, at the time, trying to promote an album by a former child star from another country was proving to be difficult. When the label was drumming up excitement for the project, radio was not keen on adding another woman to the radio spins. A lot of the radio's reception was, um, you know, we're already playing a female artist. We're already playing Sinead O'Connor. We're already playing Tori Amos. We can't play another female. I talked with Chicago radio personality Dana Grisenia, who can be heard on She 100.3 Chicago, which happens to be the third largest radio market behind New York and Los Angeles. I'm on air at WSHE. I do weekends and swing shifts, which are fill-ins, uh, but I've been in radio in Chicago for the past 14 years um, and in radio in general for the last 20 years. In a previous episode of The Original Dull, we deep-dived into I Will Always Love You, and we talked about country radio and the inability for women to get played on country radio. This is where radio programming comes into play. I was fortunate enough to talk to Dana about this. There's a lot of radio stations that it make, it, it appears it makes it harder for women to be played on radio. In one of the episodes, I talked about Salad Gate, where this radio consultant told country radio, you know, Luke Bryan and the bro country, they're the lettuce and the women are the tomatoes. And you want more lettuce in your salad mm -hmm. than tomatoes. And I just thought it was bizarre, but they, he backed it up by data saying, 
women don't like to hear other women singing mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that. Were there even channels or stations 30 years ago, 25 years ago, that did this? Mm-hmm. Did these exist? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you're right on when you say that female artists definitely suffer from bad research in a lot of places. Um, but even when they're getting good research, if they have been sound coded just because it's been what the station has done or what the programmer knows or um, what they think is going to sound best, if they've decided that there's only going to be three female artists played per hour, and let's say two of those spots are going to power currents, then there can only be one female artist with a, a classic hit or an old hit per hour. And so when you think about what a huge difference that makes in terms of exposing even new audience members to these older songs that were beloved at one point, but now might be unknown by a younger generation, it makes a really huge difference. Luckily, radio picked up the song and ran with it. Demand for Alanis's material was high. Alanis was receiving critical acclaim and being equally successful commercially. The album would go on to sell millions of units. You ought to know's parent album? It would sell over 16 million copies in its first year of release in the USA alone. Back to You Ought to Know. A question that has been around as long as the song has is, who is this song about? Who is the ex who inspired Alanis to write one of the best quote-unquote revenge songs of all time? Well, Alanis never really revealed the identity. Many speculated that it was her former boyfriend, Dave Coulier, best known as Uncle Joey from the TV series Full House. Morissette and Coulier started dating back in 1992. And here's the interesting part. Alanis was 18. Dave was 33. Coulier acknowledges that he broke up with Alanis and that the album was released after their parting of ways. So now you may ask yourself, why did Britney Spears choose this song? And we know she did it limited. This was only in a handful of select stops on the circus tour. I was able to talk to her musical director, Simon Ellis, about his work with her on the circus tour and the Femme Fatale tour. You can find that in other episodes. Just scroll through on Apple Podcast or Spotify. The thing with Britney Spears is her relationships have almost always gone public whether because the other person made it public, whether she did, or whether the media or paparazzi caught them. But Britney Spears has had her fair share of tumultuous relationships. When we look back at the music that inspired Britney Spears, and I was able to talk to so many songwriters and producers about this, Alanis Morissette's name came up several times. Alanis Morissette has been an inspiration for Britney Spears. You can hear her singing different songs throughout the years, even whether it was just on Instagram or social media or anything. And so I think this song fit that spot because Alanis, when this became a huge phenomenal phenomenon song, myself and Britney Spears were teenagers going through the first loves, first breakups, and so on and so forth. There's often talk about what music impacted you. And many times people go back to music that was released during those high school years. This would have been one of those. And a few years back, Alanis Morissette was a guest on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen, and she was asked what she thought about the Britney Spears cover of You Ought to Know. 
awesome. I love Brittany so much. I wanted to end the episode of The Original Doll. And don't forget, you can rate this episode. You can follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll, or go to the website, theoriginaldoll.com. When asked about the speculation of the person the song was written about and people taking, you know, credit for it or falsely taking credit for it, Alana said, quote unquote, I just think if you're going to take credit for a song where I'm singing about somebody being a douche or an a-hole, you might not want to say, hey, that's me. This is the original Dala Iconography. I'm James Rodriguez. I'll see you on the flip side.